next week, we'll actually be starting uh, a series in the book of Philippians. And so we'll be doing that for the majority of our school year. Um, but we're going to start that next week. Tonight, um, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. As you know, we we're starting our small groups after our message. Um, and since it is kind of the first Friday back for, for many of you, um, I want to spend tonight uh, just exhorting you um, to think with some things to think about this school year uh, ahead of you. And if it's, you know, if you've been in school for a while now, you can think of uh, the midterms ahead of you or whatever. But uh, I want to challenge you and I want to give you things to think about as you think about what it means to be a student, um, as you think about the things that you want to accomplish, the things you want to get out of the school year ahead of you. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit different. It won't be a sermon. Um, it'll be an exhortation or a few exhortations. It won't be in one passage. Uh, I'll be kind of jumping around a little bit and I'll be giving you guys a lot to think about. Um, maybe not as much time to like think about one single thing, um, but hopefully you can take something out of it and maybe this might even reshape uh, some of your priorities and some of your goals for this year. Okay, so let me pray for us and then we'll jump into it. Father, we thank you for the freedom to meet. We thank you for just your grace in our lives. Um, God, as we just sang, God, that Christ is our firm foundation. He is the only rock on which we can build. And God, I know that as we begin a new school year, or even as if we've been in school for a bit and are looking forward to what we, what we want to accomplish this year, I know that many of us um, are thinking about what we want to build on, um, the things that we want to get out of this year. And yet, God, you tell us that, uh, that it, it's useless. It doesn't mean anything unless we build on Christ, that everything else is not secure that everything else is not worthy of us placing our hope in. And so help us, Lord, to build on Christ as our rock. Help us to look to him. Help us to center him uh, in our minds and in our hearts this year. So would you use this school year for your glory, God? Help us to be humble now as we look into your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as you guys see on your handout, I have five exhortations for you guys. All right, just five encouragements for you guys. Uh, and I've kind of modeled it after the author of Hebrews' exhortation to his church in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. We'll jump back to this passage later, um, but I think you guys are familiar with this passage. This is what he says in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. He says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, you guys know that passage? The author of Hebrews was writing to believers who were in the danger of drifting. Okay, that's what's happening in the book of Hebrews. These believers, they had accepted the gospel. They had even endured suffering uh, in, in, the, in light of the gospel. They had even endured persecution. And they had done so courageously and boldly for their new faith. But as time went on and this persecution started to uh, increase and it didn't relent, and even some of their leaders and some of those, their pastors who had led them to Christ in the first place, they started to pass away and they started to move away. These believers, they started to doubt and they started to grow complacent and they started to let up a little bit and they started to drift and they were even in danger of abandoning the gospel for their former way of life. And so that's the context that the author of Hebrews is writing into and the author exhorts this church, 
with these certain familiar truths that we must consider. He says, consider these things. There are a few important things that we need to bring to our minds by way of reminder. And why must we do that? Well, listen back to what he says, right? He says, so that we wouldn't neglect them. Wouldn't neglect them so that they they don't become habits. You see, much of spiritual growth in the Christian life happens by way of hundreds of seemingly small and simple decisions that you make each day rather than the the few major ones that you're going to make in your college years. Spiritual growth happens in those small and simple decisions. And in the same way, spiritual drift, like the author of Hebrews is talking about, occurs by way of neglect. It occurs by way of forming these habits that we're not aware of. Uh, it, It happens as we forget to do something when we get caught up with other things, that we forget to do this one important thing, when we think that we can come back to it later. Uh, D.A. Carson, he puts it like this, and this quote has stuck with me. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, and obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. People do not drift towards holiness. And so tonight, um, what I want to do is I want to equip you to form good spiritual habits. Okay, I want to keep you from spiritual neglect. As you look forward to the rest of the school year in front of you, I want to remind you of things that, yeah, you might already know. But I want to remind you of these things that we actively have to consider so that you might make the most of this school year to the glory of God. Okay, so five, exhort- five exhortations. First one is this. Don't neglect your opportunities. Don't neglect your opportunities. And the word that I want you to take away from this point is the word stewardship. Okay, stewardship. Uh, we say that, uh, that word a lot here at Lighthouse. Um, but Jesus teaches us about stewardship with a parable about a master who entrusts his servants with talents. Right, in Matthew 25. So why don't you turn there. Matthew 25. And it'll be in verses 14 to 30. As you're turning there, I think this this parable is familiar to most of us. Um, This master, he goes on a journey, and so he entrusts his property to his servants. Uh, Verse 15, if you look at it, he says, To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. The master goes away, two of those three servants put those talents to good use. Right? The one with five talents makes five talents more. The one with two talents makes two talents more. Look in verse 18. The third servant, however, it says, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. The master returns. He comes to settle accounts. Um, and to the first two servants, right, they've Uh, They've gotten a return on their investment. He says this. He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's a few things I want you to notice from that. Uh, First, they both receive the same commendation. Right? Five talents, two talents, regardless of how much they were entrusted with, they, they both receive the same commendation. And what does that mean for us? Well, it means that some of us, uh, we are entrusted with more. 
and some of us are entrusted with less. Right? And that, that doesn't say anything about our value, about our worth. It's just the way it is. Some of us have more, some of us has, have less. But successful and faithful stewardship is not defined by how much we have, but by what we do with it. It's not defined by how much we have, but with what we do with it. It also means that God has given us more than enough to accomplish all that he has called us to do. And you look at the, the guy with two talents, it's not like he didn't have enough to earn the pleasure of his master. He received that commendation. God has given us more than enough to accomplish everything that he has called us to do. What about the third servant? Verse 24. It says, He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So this third servant, he says, Master, uh, I didn't want to lose your money, right? I didn't want to accidentally, uh, you know, lose it or uh, get negative return on it, and so I just safeguarded it. I didn't do anything with it. I made sure I didn't lose any of it. But what does that teach us? Well, it teaches us that God has entrusted us with gifts and with skills and abilities for us to use them. Okay, not to safeguard them, but for us to use them. We are called to spend ourselves for our master. The scary truth is that we are going to have to give an account of how we spent those things that God has given to us. We're going to have to report back to the master of how we stewarded those gifts that God has entrusted us with. What he has given us now, God will ask about later. And he will have expected us to diligently work with those resources to further his kingdom. And so let me just give you a a few specific areas of stewardship for you to think about. Okay, Uh, First is... I want you to think about your gifts. Right? How are you going to steward your gifts? And I think what scripture teaches us about the stewardship of, of our gifts is that we are, use, we are to use them for other people. That we aren't to use our gifts for ourselves, we are to use them for others. First Peter 4.10 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Did you get that? We are to use them to serve one another Recognizing that we are stewards of God's grace means understanding that our gifts have been entrusted to us, not for ourselves, but for God and for others. We are to be others-focused in how we utilize the things that God has given to us. And that means our intellect, that means our skills, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our opportunities. These things are not platforms for us where we, we try to gain like our own sense of significance, where we try to make ourselves look good. But these things are things that God has given to us in order to bless and to serve other people to the praise of God. And let me just challenge you um, just with one way to apply this practically. Okay? Uh, create flexibility for meeting other people's needs. Create flexibility for meeting other people's needs. Be proactive about how you can bless others. 
Um, and this can apply to stuff other than your God-given gifts and abilities. This can refer to, uh, to your money, to your resources, to your time. Let me just give you a good example of this. Pastor Kim shared with me once about how he and his wife, Jen, set aside a, a certain portion of their budget that's just dedicated to like loving and serving other people, right? Like it's, it's only for that purpose. And he told me that like whatever they decide to do with that money that they've set aside, it's never an issue of what they're gonna do with it because like they've already set that money aside and they've already decided in their hearts that this is gonna be used to bless other people. And so it's not like they're taking it from somewhere else and so it's, you know, it's harder when money is tight that month or whatever. Uh, in fact, he shared with me how it's become fun for their family, how it's become a joy to bless other people because rather than asking the question of, oh, you know, how much can we give this month? Uh, it's, it's asking who can we bless this month and how can we bless this person? Right? And um, in Acts 20, 35, Jesus says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. I think that's a perfect picture of that, right? That there's a joy in giving and in blessing others and using those things that God has entrusted us with to meet other people's needs. And so let me just encourage you to be proactive about that. Think about how you can create space in your life uh, to do that for others. Secondly, let me challenge you with uh, just to consider your stewardship of your time. I think when you read in scripture, it teaches us that we are to steward our time with diligence and with gratefulness, okay? Um, as we saw in the parable of the talents, we are called to be diligent with our time, right? We are called to spend ourselves, um, to be useful, but at the same time, we must recognize that time is a gift, that time doesn't belong to you, that God has given you exactly the amount of time that you need, okay? Just try to believe that. God has given you exactly the amount of time that you need. And so live gratefully. Enjoy God's gifts for what they are rather than means to gain more. Beware of busying yourself, believing that it somehow defines your importance or your competence, and recognize that sitting with Jesus is better, right? It's the better portion. If you guys remember the the story of Mary and Martha. Let me ask you to consider your stewardship of um, not only your time, but your season of life. Okay, your season of life. And I think what scripture teaches us about that, how we are to steward our season of life, is with contentment. Okay, with contentment. In 1 Corinthians seven seventeen, Paul writes this. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. And in that immediate context, Paul is writing about singleness versus marriage. He says, let each person, whether they are married or whether they are single, lead the life that God has assigned to him for that season. But his point is the same. We aren't to stress over the fact that we are in this season rather than that season of our life. Either way, we are to pursue a single-minded devotion to the Lord. Regardless of what season of life you're in, we are to pursue a single-minded devotion to the Lord. Um, And and to use Paul's example, yeah, that might look different depending on what season of, of life you're in. Right? It looks different to steward singleness versus to steward uh, married life. But either way, we are called to do so with contentment, recognizing that contentment isn't something that you automatically gain when you get that thing you've, you've been wishing for for so long. Right? Like you don't just gain contentment uh, after you become married. You don't just gain contentment after you get that, that job that you've been wishing for or that significant other or, or that degree or, or whatever it might be, fill in the blank. 
I like how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 7.24, later in that passage. He says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called there, let him remain, or that word remain is abide, right? There, let him abide with God. In whatever season of life you are in, you are to steward it with contentment, and you do that by abiding with God. Okay, that's the first one. That's probably the longest one. Second exhortation is don't neglect relationships and community. Don't neglect relationships and community. I read from uh, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 earlier. It's a familiar passage to you guys. It's the go to church verse. Um, It says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As Christians, we are called to live in community. We are called to live in relationship with one another, both uh, for our own spiritual health, but also so that, so that we might love and that we might minister and we might serve others. And as we engage in relationships, what we are doing is we are reflecting the relational nature of God. And there's a lot I can go into for that, but let me just give you a few key relationships to consider um, in your college years. One, and probably the most important, I would say, most neglected is uh, the local church, okay? We need to be part of the local church. And so don't just attend, don't just show up on Sundays, but commit to the church, invest in the church, serve the church, and love the church. Paul, um, in 1 Corinthians 12, he describes the church using the metaphor of a body. And, And his point is that every part of this body is necessary, and every part of this body is indispensable. And so that, that means you guys too, okay, college students, like you are needed in the life of Lighthouse. That this church, this church family would be less of a body if it didn't have you guys college students. And so we need to recognize our role in being part of the body of the local church. So that's the first one. Second relationship I want you to consider is um, to seek wise friends and to seek accountability. Seek wise friends and accountability. Proverbs 13, 20, uh, it says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the, com- the companion of fools will suffer harm. And I, I think, like, we know that. Our mom and dad's probably told us that, right? Make wise friends, make good friends. Don't hang out with bad people. Um, but I, I want to encourage you to really consider the types of friends that you're making. Right? Really consider um, your friendships, and whether, whether you are really taking advantage, whether you're really making the most of those friendships. Think about the kinds of conversations that you have with one another. Right? Think about the things that you talk about with one another, especially those, even with the people around you. So think through your friendships. Seek wise friends. Seek accountability. Um, third thing, look ahead and look backward. Okay, look ahead and look backward. And this is what I mean by that. Look up and imitate those who are ahead of you in the Christian life. If you want to learn how to prepare for marriage, well, don't learn from, you know, like that junior who's been dating his girlfriend for like a month. You know, learn from someone who's been married for decades. You want to learn how to endure suffering? Talk to someone who has suffered well. If you want to learn how to be a good steward, talk to someone who's been faithful in his workplace, his or her workplace. Look ahead, imitate Uh, those who are ahead of you in the Christian life, right? Seek mentors and disciples, but also look backward. Scripture sets forth 
uh, a pattern for us that we are to imitate those who are more mature, right? But we are also to pass the baton to those who are after us. And so I want to speak to you guys, upperclassmen especially, uh, look for someone younger to disciple, whether that's formally or informally. Um, Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, he says, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to men who will be able to teach others also. Right? There's generations of discipleship. What you have learned, you are to entrust to other people. Um, and so upperclassmen, I want to challenge you specifically, like, take leadership in that way. Right? Think about like, younger guys, younger girls that you can disciple um, and consider this as well, that your discipleship is not just like this thing of, oh, I meet up, you know, like one hour a week. Think about how you're discipling, discipling people uh, with your words, with your example, with how, how you handle certain situations uh, because people are watching you. So take leadership in that way. Look ahead and look backward. And then last, last relationship to consider is to evangelize lost. I know we just finished a, a series in, uh, in the summer on evangelism, but uh, we need to share the gospel. It is not an optional part of the Christian life. I know you hear it all the time, but it is so true that it is difficult to find a, a better context or environment for having gospel conversations than on a, on a college campus. Like, really, it, you won't have another chance like it. There is so much opportunity for gospel conversation, and so take advantage of it. Talk to your classmates. Um, get to know people outside of your Christian fellowships. All right, so don't neglect um, your, your opportunities. Steward them well. Don't neglect relationships and community. Third, don't neglect your spiritual disciplines. Um, and so if you don't know me, I, I graduated with a minor, actually, uh, in, in English literature when I was at UCLA. I majored in psychology. I got a minor in English. Uh, but while I was in English minor, I actually read very little of the required reading. Um, I don't know how I did it. Somehow I got through. Uh, but don't follow my example. One time, I actually wrote a paper on a book that I didn't read, somehow. Uh, I read a summary uh, on SparkNotes, and I used the analysis. And I just like, looked at one page, and I wrote a paper on one page of the book. Uh, but when I got to seminary, though, they, so they still give us more reading in seminary, actually. And they made us report how much of the reading we completed. So it's like, did you complete 50%, 75%, 100%? And like, that's how we got our grade, <laughs> was you report how much reading you did. And so like, I couldn't just not read it, because I wouldn't pass seminary. Um, but anyways, most of you will read many books for your classes. Okay, some more than others. Um, I'm referring to you few humanities majors uh, because the rest of you want a job when you graduate. <laughs> you will study your notes thoroughly, sometimes multiple times through, um, sometimes literally all night. Right? But the most important book that you will read, the most important book that you will study is the Bible. That is the most important book you will read. Similarly, most of you will seek counsel from others. You will consult your friends about which classes to take, uh, which professors are easiest. Uh, you will talk to your professors about the curriculum and the notes. You will confide with your small group leaders or those in your fellowship groups about significant and complicated life situations. You might seek a mentor uh, for help with a career direction to take. In college, 
I'm guessing you will talk with and you will receive counsel from many different sources, and that is a good thing, okay? It's a good thing to receive outside counsel and to receive help from other people, but know this, the most important person that you can talk with is God through prayer. And and for most of you, I know, uh, especially if you've been around church, I know that you know this. I know that you know this, that you're supposed to read your Bible and you're supposed to pray. And it seems like we just say that, you know, for every single application. But I don't want you to think that this is just a matter of, like, this is what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. Okay, let let me just give you an example. Let's take contentment. How do you grow um, to be more content as a Christian? How does reading the Bible, how does praying help me to grow in contentment? Is it just a matter of like, you know, oh, contentment, keyword. I look up Bible verses that talk about contentment, right? I know that Hebrews 13 says that I should be content with all the things that I have. No, I think it's more than that. It's through scripture, it's through prayer, it's through these spiritual disciplines and spending time with the Lord that we learn to grow a love for him. And if you want to grow in contentment, It's not a matter of just learning to love your idea of a girlfriend or a boyfriend less or learn to love your idea of a dream job or popularity less, right? It's it's learning to love Christ more. We call that the expulsive power of superior affections. And that's just a big word for we, we, how you love Christ more if you don't spend time with him, if you don't get to know him. So that's what scripture and prayer does. It helps us to grow a love for Christ so that we would gain contentment because we love Christ more, that we we wouldn't look to these other things. And so let me just give you a practical um, suggestion in this way. Uh, Set a minimum goal for what you want to do every day. Like, I want to read one chapter a day. I want to pray five minutes a day. And make it specific, make it tangible, make it attainable. Even if it's like, oh, like what is five minutes of prayer going to do for me? Right? But do that, set that goal, and do it every single day, and you'll grow. You'll grow, and, and hopefully as you do that, God will grow you in your love for prayer. And hopefully it'll make a difference in your life. God's word says that it will. So think through practically, how can I... Uh, set up space? How can I help myself through these goals that I make to, to spend more time with God in order that I may grow a love for Christ, in order that I may get to know him more? Number four, don't neglect your character. Don't neglect your character. Um, many of you will do a lot of different things in college, whether that's academic or uh, in, in church groups or sports or whatever it might be socially, you will do a lot of different things in college, but the most important thing about you is not what you do, but who you are. Right? It's not the things that you do, but it's this kind of person that you are. <laughs> Scripture is clear about that. Paul says famously in 1 Corinthians 13 that, uh, that spiritual giftedness is nothing without love. Right? The way that he puts it is you can like, speak in tongues of angels, but if you don't have love, then you're just this loud symbol. You're just making noise. If you look at the qualifications for eldership in the church in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, they all have to do not with a person's gifting, but with a person's character. 
Uh, Jesus, he puts it like this in Matthew 16, 26. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You can work hard to get straight A's in your classes. You can gain recognition. You can get a good job. Uh, You can get financial success and security when you graduate. But Jesus asked the question, what good is it if you gain all of that, but you forfeit your soul in the process? And what that means for us is that, that doing what God wants in every area of your life, okay, it might not mean reaching your highest academic potential. Doing what God wants in every area of your life might not mean, or it might mean that you might not be the best student. Right? You, you might not score the highest in your class. as long as it's not at the cost of your character. See, when we think about the idea of faithfulness, I think what often comes to mind is longevity. Right? You think of like uh, faithfulness, you think of lifelong commitment, right? It's the person who has stuck with it until the end. Um, for me, when I think of faithfulness, I think of those who are Lighthouse, who have been serving and who still continue to serve even since this church has started. Uh, For me, when I think of faithfulness, I think of the pastor who has shepherded his church for decades. But realize this about faithfulness as well, that when we think about faithfulness, we must recognize that it is not only lifelong, but it is life-wide. It is life-wide. Faithfulness is not simply a matter of only focusing on that one thing in your life, even if it might be a good thing. Faithfulness, faithfulness must include every area of your life. It is life-wide. Okay, what I'm trying to say is that you need to pay attention to the big things and the small things, the academic stuff and the spiritual stuff. So when it comes to things um, like flaking on your plans or being late or living out of balance or being careless with your academics or not having uh, like integrity in dating, recognize that all of those things have to do with your character. Okay, there's not like a good side of you in one area and then like a bad side of you in in this other thing that is part of your life. Faithfulness is lifelong and life-wide. And paying close attention to your character also means that you recognize the tendencies and the complexities and the temptations of your own heart. Um, Proverbs 4.23, it says, it warns us to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And so let me ask you, do you know your weaknesses? Right? Are you aware of like, your own specific personal weaknesses? See, Scripture is very honest and very straightforward about the tendencies of our hearts. Right? The second greatest commandment is what? It's love your neighbor as yourself. Um, in Matthew 5, 46-47, Jesus says, What reward do you have if you only love those who love you? See what scripture is doing there? It assumes that we are going to love ourselves. It assumes that we are more inclined to love uh, ourselves than to love others. It assumes that we would rather love those who are good to us than those who sin against us. All right, so, so be aware of the weaknesses of your own heart. And that leads us to our last point, and this, this will serve as our conclusion as well. Number five, don't neglect your failures. Don't neglect your failures. <clears throat> I remember um, during my first few quarters of college, uh, I, I struggled academically. 
And the tra transition uh, for me from high school to college was more difficult than I expected. Uh, in high school, I could just sit in class and just do my homework, and that was enough to get good grades, okay, not to brag or anything. Um, when I got to UCLA, I realized that that wasn't enough, that I had to put in extra work to learn things on my own, um, and, and my first few quarters in college exposed me to my lack of study habits. Like, I, I wasn't good at learning things on my own. I wasn't actually good at, like, studying on my own. In a similar way, as you strive to put into practice many of the things that we just talked about, as you grow to learn and become aware of your own heart, I think you will come to find that your heart is messier and that it is more sinful than you expected. And it's not that college, being in this environment, all of a sudden has created or caused uh, all of these things in your life. College simply has exposed them to you. C.S. Lewis wrote this about his own heart. He said, for the first time, I examined myself with a seriously practical purpose. And there I found what appalled me, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of hatreds. My name was Legion. And that's what he said when he looked at his heart. He realized the wickedness of his heart. In addition to uh, that happening, in addition to un uncovering more of your own heart, many of you in college will experience failure. Right? Some of you might score test scores that fall on the wrong side of the curve. Some of you will receive rejection letters, unexpected changes in your career path, a regretful stewardship of your time. Uh, some of you will experience relational fallout, breakups, your own unmet expectations, um, failing to meet other people's expectations, disappointment, moral failure, and your own sin. And there are a number of ways that I think you can respond to this, right? Some people can see the sinfulness in uh, their own hearts and they just don't care. Others can see it and, and they despair and they believe that they just need to get their act together, right? They need to do these few things and it'll be better. But let me encourage you, Beacon, not to neglect your failures, not to neglect even your own sin, because it is a reminder to you of your desperate need for God's grace. Don't neglect those things. In Luke 5.31, Jesus says this. He says, those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick. That I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, sick-hearted people are the ones that Jesus came for. And you know what? In the kind and the gracious and the wise sovereignty of God, he would even have it that the failures that you and I experience can be used for building up and for strengthening one another. There is this beautiful passage in Luke's gospel um, toward the end of Jesus' life where the apostle Peter, he pledges his undying allegiance to Jesus. Why don't you turn there? Luke chapter 22. Verse 31. This is what Jesus says to Peter. Right? Proud Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, what is he talking about? He's talking about Simon's denials of Jesus. Right, after all that has happened, when you have turned again, he says, strengthen your brothers. 
See how God ordains our failures for our good, for the good of others, and for his own glory? Right? It is through our failures that we see the limits of our own strength. It's through our failures that we are broken of our overconfidence. It's through our failures that we understand that Christ's hand is the hand that holds us and keeps us. It's through our failures that we understand that, we understand that what guards our faith from being destroyed is not our own commitment to Christ. It's not our own faithful stewardship. It's, it's not our own, like, we do all of these things right. But the thing that guards our faith from being destroyed, not our commitment to Christ, but Christ's commitment to us. So begin as you consider the school year ahead of you, um, know that I, I do want you to do well. Okay, I, I want you guys to be good stewards, students and stewards. I want you guys to get good grades. Um, I want you guys to kill it in your classes. Like, I want you to be the top, setting the curve. I want you guys to make awesome friendships. Um, I want you guys to like, love what you're studying, to score internships, to graduate and make it into successful careers where you make a lot of money and you can uh, contribute to the kingdom. Let me leave you with this. At the end of the day, as well as you do in college, this is why I wanted to end with this last point, as well as you do in college, right? as faithful as you might be with your stewardship, as invested as you might be in relationships, as diligent as you might be in, in reading the word and in prayer, right? as moral as you might be, living you know, the straight edge kind of life, only the gospel saves. Only the gospel saves you. You can be the best college student that you can be. You can have the best school year that you can have. Yet you have to know that only the gospel will save you. And that we are all in need of grace. So as you think about the school year ahead of you, I, I, I pray and I hope that your, your year would not be characterized by, look at all these things that I've done. Right? Look at how far I've come. But a desperate need and a desperate recognition of God's grace in your life. You become more and more aware of it, more and more sensitive to your need for it. It would be evident in the words that you speak, in the way that you act with others, in the way that you live your Christian life. Right? Only the gospel can save. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel, that it reorients us from any delusions of success, of performance, um, of thinking that it all depends on us. And so as we set out and make goals for this year, as we think about all the things we want to accomplish, Lord, we know that those are good things. But God, it, it still goes back to the gospel, that we find our salvation, we find our worth, we find our approval, in the gospel because of what Christ has done for us. And so I pray, Lord, that that would be the most important thing about us. That that would be the thing that defines us. That would be the thing that when people look at our lives, they would walk away with knowing more of. So God, thank you um, for the gospel. I pray that it would come to define us. I love you, God. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um,